You're listening to the teaching ministry of Rhea Briscoe, a division of Snowdrop Ministries. For more information about Rhea or how to connect with Snowdrop Ministries, please visit our website at www.snowdropministries.com or you can call 414-581-8150. We pray you are both blessed and challenged by this teaching. If you have your Bibles, you can open them to Lamentations 3. Lamentations 3. I'd like to read to you tonight from the ESV. Perhaps rather than follow along, just close your eyes and listen. I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven me and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. He has walled me in so that I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy. Though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my way with blocks of stones. He has made my paths crooked. He is a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. He turned aside my steps and tore me into pieces. He has made me desolate. He bent his bow and set me as a target for his arrow. He drove into my kidneys the arrows of his quiver. I have become the laughingstock of all peoples, the object of their taunts all day long. He has filled me with bitterness and has sated me with wormwood. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and has made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say, my endurance has perished so has my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will have hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. That's your memory verse. This is an interesting passage. Jeremiah is, is they believe that Jeremiah is writing it. That is the laments or the lamentations of Jeremiah. Uh, we can see from how this passage starts that, that Jeremiah is hurting. I, I wonder if there's anybody here tonight hurting. He's feeling alone and abandoned. He feels like his walls are hitting a brick wall and not getting through to God. I wonder if you've ever felt that way. 
He's discouraged and he's full of despair. We know uh, what's going on in the Israelites' uh, life during this time. The Chaldeans or the enemy have invaded their territory. They've carried them away into captivity or bondage. I I just wonder if there's anybody here tonight that the enemy has invaded your territory and you feel like he's carried you and the people you love away into bondage, That, that your life is full of despair and hopelessness. Jerusalem is in desolation at this time. It is a world who turned their back on God. You know that Jeremiah was a prophet, and we see all through the book of Jeremiah that he is issuing warnings. He's sounding the trumpet. He is he's giving them the word of the Lord. And there are people who acknowledge God with their lips. But their hearts are far from him. I I just wonder if any of us would be guilty of that, of acknowledging God with our lips, but our lives are far from him. We don't honor him with our lives. I've been reading in Jeremiah the last couple weeks, and and I'm struck by Jeremiah 9, 7. I think it's 9, 7. It's in Jeremiah 9. And, And God is speaking to Jeremiah, and he says to him, you are living in the midst of of deceit. Now he's not talking about Jeremiah. He's not saying, Jeremiah, you are living in deceit. He's saying you're living in the midst of it. It's surrounding you. Everybody around you is, is in deceit. And that word deceit means falsehood. It means hypocrisy. It means they're wearing a spiritual mask. They look super spiritual on the outside. They're honoring God with their lips, but their hearts are far from him. And, and I just want to tell you, I just don't want that to be, be indicative of my life. I don't want a mouth that honors him, but heart that is far from him. I, I want to be the real deal or nothing at all. I don't want to live in hypocrisy. God says to Jeremiah in in chapter 9, he says that they refuse to know me. And that word know means to know intimately because of their deceit, because they're putting on a mask, because they're pretending, because their lives are full of hypocrisy, because they're acting really spiritual, but their hearts are far far from me. They don't know me intimately. And that's the case, and that, that, that's the case with the people of that time. And, and Jeremiah is sounding the trumpet, and, and now we see in Lamentations that the people have been carried away into captivity, and their land is in desolation. And Jeremiah is, is weeping, and he's lamenting over it, and that's what this passage is all about. Now those people are sitting in a place of hopelessness, in a place of despair. But this book is about turning to God no matter what. No matter what we've done, no matter how far we've fallen, no matter how bleak it looks, no matter how much despair we are full of, it is a book about turning to God and understanding that His compassions will never fail, that His mercies are new every morning, that you meet every day with a new start, a new beginning, a fresh outlook on life. You can begin again. That he is a God of mercy and of love. Do you know that you are loved by God? 
Do you know that? Do you know that it doesn't matter if you failed miserably today? It doesn't matter if you lived a day of regret or a month of regret or, or your weekend was blown out of proportion and you messed up royally. Can I tell you, it is about a God whose compassions never fail and his mercies are new every morning. He is a faithful covenant-keeping God and he loves you with an everlasting, unfailing love. Jeremiah begins this passage, you will see in verse 1, it just goes downhill and, and he's despairing almost unto life. He's saying, God, my life is miserable. You, you've turned your back. You're not even hearing me. Where are you when I need you? And then in verse 21, we see an auto, a change in, in tone. We, we see a dramatic shift take place where Jeremiah begins to realize that he needs to mind his mind. He needs to begin taking responsibility for what he's thinking on and where he's allowing his mind to go and what he's meditating on. We see in verses 1 through 20, Jeremiah is focusing on the pain and it caused him to despair. I will tell you that any time you fix your eyes on the natural, on the pain around you, on the circumstances that you might be living in, on what's happening around you, instead of fixing your eyes on things above, you will enter into a place of despair and hopelessness. If your hope is not in God, you are without hope. The Bible says that those who hope in the Lord will not be disappointed. And we need to be purposeful about what we call to mind. Look in, verse, look in verses 20 and 21. I think it's so interesting there. He says, my soul, is my soul continually remembers it. It is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. We see two different pictures there. One, he's saying, I, I, my soul, my mind, my will, my emotion is constantly remembering the garbage, remembering the pain remembering the disappointment, remembering the stuff I've had to live through and the despair and the hopelessness. And then he sees, he switches a tone there and he says, but this I call to mind. And that word call to mind doesn't mean to remember. Some of your translations maybe even say remember, but it's so much deeper than that. If you look at it in the original language, it doesn't mean to remember in your mind. It means to return to. Oh, I, I love it. It means to, to, um, to turn back or return. In other words, he's saying, I was focused on my pain. I was focused on despair. I was, I was focused on the hopelessness of my circumstances. And that's where my mind was. And I kept replaying it. Woe is me. Pity party of one. Look how bad my life is. Look how bad my circumstances are. And then he says, but this I call to mind. I'm choosing to fix my mind back on God. I'm choosing to redirect my attention. I'm choosing to return to the truth I know, to my only help, to the one who can't help himself. He'll always be faithful. And he says, so I call to mind. I'm returning my thoughts to God. Jeremiah was forcing himself to direct his thoughts back to God, to the only truth, instead of on the trouble and the pain. 
You see, focusing on his trouble, focusing on his heartache, put distance between him and God. That is always a ploy of the enemy. Can I tell you what the enemy wants to do? He started it in the garden. You see, with Adam and Eve, they were created in God's likeness. They were created to walk in fellowship with God. They wanted to, they were created to be intimate with God. They had everything they could need. God would provide for them everything. And then the enemy came and he began to whisper, did God really say? He made, a, he made Eve think that God was withholding from her, that, that God wasn't giving her the best, that she was the exception, that God really did not want good for her. And he's never stopped whispering that since. Did God really say his promises aren't good for you? He doesn't mean what he says. You're the exception to the rule. God doesn't really love you like he says he does. God won't be faithful to what he says he'll do. He still tries to whisper that. But you have got to say, but this I will call to mind. You've got to be purposeful about refocusing on the truth. Our hope is in the unchanging. Somebody say unchanging. In the unchanging character of God. I want you to see that the scripture says the steadfast love. I purposely am reading from the ESV tonight because I wanted you to see that word, the steadfast love. In the original language, the word is hesed, and it means loyal love. It's not an emotional love. You see, emotional love will leave when it gets hard. Emotional love will withdraw when you don't do what it wants you to do. This isn't that kind of love. It's a loyal love. It's a covenant love. It's a love uh, that, that, that will, will be persistent, a love which will never let go. Can I tell you, God has a loyal love for you. He's not disappointed in you and then pulls away. He loves you. He can't help himself but love you. He's persistent in that love no matter no matter what you do, he will hound you down with that love. It's a love that'll never let go. He said the steadfast love of the Lord. Oh, that word for Lord there, it means the great I am. He will be everything you need him to be when you need him to be everything he, he is. And can I tell you, no matter what storm you're in, no matter how bleak and hopeless your circumstances look, can I tell you, you need to fix your, your eyes, not on your circumstance, but on the one who promises to be your great I am. Everything you have need of, he will be for you. He says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. I love it. It means it's never exhausted. It never runs out. Oh, it's new every morning. It's renewed every morning. You get a fresh start. A couple months ago, I was working at Elmbrook and they were having, um, Kendall, help me. What is it called? What is it? No, the little ones vertical, camp vertical. And there were, there were all kinds of camp vertical leaders in the lobby with children. And, and there was one little girl who was really having a fit and she was having a temper tantrum and she was behaving really kind of ugly. And one of the sweetest leaders, uh, they, 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 the, she came and she sat down with her and she was talking to this little girl and the little girl was, was really angry and you could see it all over her face and she had done some naughty things and so they brought her out, out away from the group and they had sat down to talk to her and her co-leader came out and her co-leader, she said to her co-leader, now I believe that everybody deserves a fresh start. What do you think? And so tomorrow when you come back to Camp Vertigo, you get a fresh start. We're just going to forget this ever happened and you get a fresh start. And I thought to myself, 
life. Isn't that what God does to me every single day? Guess what, Rhea? Tomorrow you get a fresh start. You messed up today, but tomorrow you got a fresh start because my mercies are new every morning. You get a fresh start. I don't care. Yes. I don't care if you messed up today. I don't care if you messed up over the weekend. The righteous man falls seven times, but he gets up every last time. Get up and and rest in the fact that his mercies are new every morning. You get a fresh start. You get a fresh start. It never runs out. It's never exhausted. My mama was quite spoiled. I just want to tell you, and my daddy took good care of her. And I was thinking today, Leslie and I ran out of gasoline this weekend. Yeah, we did. (laughs) Yeah, we'll tell that later. But, But here's what made me think about it. My daddy had her gas. She never pumped gasoline one day in her whole entire life. That's how much he spoiled her. Her gasoline was pumped every, all the time. She'd get in her car, and even if it was only a three-quarter tank, he made sure he topped the tank off for her that she would never have to pump gas in her car. And so when I was thinking about that they're never exhausted, that, that you come to meet it and you never have to worry about it not being enough, my mama would get in her car, and she would never have to worry about it not being enough. My daddy made sure that she had a fresh tank every single day. And can I tell you, my daddy in heaven makes sure you got a fresh tank every single morning. His mercies are new every morning. They are never exhausted. This is not the one thing you've done that he said, you know what? That just pushed me over the edge. I can't meet you with compassion with that. I can't meet you with mercy with that. You will never get to that place because it's steadfast love. It's loyal love. It's covenant love. The word says that his compassions never fail. That word compassion, it means womb. I love it. Do you know that a womb cherishes the fetus? It's put there to protect the the, the child. It's a picture of tender love, of, of tender affection. It means to love deeply. It's a picture of a mother's love for a child. Oh, I'm just telling you, there, there's something about a mother's love. Even when that baby's in the womb, even when it's fresh in the womb, a mother's love is just connected to that child. There's a tender affection. There, there's a love that's deep, and it's a picture of God's love for you. He says, though your mother and father forsake you, I will receive you as my own. He says in Isaiah 4, 49, turn there. It's one of my favorite scriptures. Isaiah 49, 1. Now let's go. Can a woman, 15, can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palm of my hands, and your walls are ever before me. Can a woman forget her child nursing at her breast? That's almost impossible. But he said, even if she could forget that, I will never forget you. Such tender love, that such tender mercy, tender affection. He says, they're new every morning. I just want to tell you, that's such a picture of manna. You know, see, in Bible times, when the, when the Israelites came out of Egypt and, and God was leading them out of slavery and they didn't have food to eat and they were grumbling and complaining, he said, I'll tell you what, I will show you my faithfulness. I will make sure that you have food every morning. I will make sure that there is fresh manna for you every day. Does anybody know what the condition was with that? Somebody tell me. Somebody. Come on, guys. You're better than this. They can only do what? 
They can only take that day's worth. What happened if they took two days, if they got greedy? It would spoil. And he says, you're going to have what you need every single morning, but you're going to have to depend on me for it. Oh, aren't you so glad that we have a God who says he'll give you bread from heaven. He is the bread from heaven. He is the bread of life. And you're going to have everything you need. You just have to trust me to give it to you. I will be your sustenance. I'll be everything you need. Every morning it'll be there. They had to trust every morning it will be there. And his mercies will be there new every morning. You mess up, you get a fresh start. You get to begin again. It'll be available constantly. It'll never run out. It'll never be exhausted. He says, great is your faithfulness. And that word great means big. It means great in number. It means abundant. Oh, it's just a big word. But, but great is your faithfulness. And, and I want to talk to you just a minute about that word faithfulness. If you look it up in the original language, it, it, it means fidelity. It means firmness. It means faithfulness and fulfilling his promises. Oh, can I just tell you, God is faithful in fulfilling his promises. He will be faithful to you. It's fidelity. He's, he, he will always be faithful. And here's what's so interesting to me. As I studied that verse this week, that, that word faithfulness, it comes from, it, it originates with the word amen. Does that sound like anything? Amen. That's where we get our word, amen. I love to preach it in churches where, where they say amen when I'm preaching. I love it. Do you know why I love that? Because when they say amen, do you know what they're saying to me? Truth. That's truth. What she's speaking is truth. Amen. That's what it means, truth. You can believe it. You can be certain that's trustworthy. And so that word, amen means to be firm, to be trustworthy. It means truth. It means to be certain. And what he's saying, because his word, that word faithfulness means he is firm, he is trustworthy. It's rooted in that. It is rooted in the fact that you can be certain. You can take it to the bank and cash it in. He will always be faithful. He is a promise keeper. You see, we live in a world that doesn't keep promises. We live in a world of broken promises. Some of you had a mama and daddy that promised to stay together and be there for you, and they left. Some of you have, have, have had a covenant into a covenant of marriage till death do us part until another woman came along or another man came along. Wedding vows need, must, need, mean nothing. We're, we've entered into starter marriages. Loyalty means nothing. We can't take people at their word anymore. We don't trust people. We say we do, but we really don't trust people. I will tell you that for me, loyalty is everything. Ask Leslie, ask Dave. Loyalty is everything. You betray me, I will remember it. Are you with me? And we do not trust people. And we transfer that lack of trust onto God. But you see, God says he is trustworthy. He is faithful. And he can never be anything but. We don't know who we trust. Can we read his word? Will he do it? Will he perform it in our life? Can we really trust him to do what he says? But you see, his faithfulness is rooted in his unchangeableness. He is a covenant-keeping God. He, he is a promise-keeper. He's not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. 
I was looking at some of these scriptures where it talks about God's faithfulness, and I just want to take a moment and look at them with you. I, I know that, that maybe this is a hassle for you, but I just think there's, there's something to be seen when we look at the scripture ourselves. And so I just want to take you quickly through a couple scriptures that use this word faithfulness so that you get a bigger picture of what he means when he says, great is your faithfulness, God. Turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 7. Verse 9, Deuteronomy, front of your Bible, chapter 7, verse 9. He says, Therefore, know that the Lord your God, He is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love Him and keep His commandments. He's a faithful God. Flip back to Deuteronomy 32, verse 4. He says, He is the rock, His work is perfect. For all his ways are justice, a God of truth. That's the word faithfulness there, and without injustice. Psalm 33. Go to the middle of your Bible. Psalm 33, verse 4. For the word of the Lord is right, faithful, and all his works are done in truth, faithfulness. 36.5, your mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Psalm 89.33, nevertheless, my loving kindness, I will not utterly take from him, nor allow my faithfulness to fail. His faithfulness will never fail. Psalm 89, verse 8. O Lord, God of hosts, who is mighty like you, O Lord, your faithfulness surrounds you. Psalm 100, verse 5. For the Lord is good, and his mercy is everlasting. His truth, his faithfulness endures to all generations. Uh, Here's the one I really want you to see. Flip back to 2 Timothy, and this is the last one we'll look at. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Let's start at 11. This one I want to go deep in your heart. This is a faithful saying. For if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, He remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. Oh, I love that. Even when we are faithless, he is faithful because he cannot deny himself. It's his unchangeable character. He will always be faithful. I don't care if Susie sitting next to you is not faithful. I don't care if you can't believe a word coming out of your spouse's mouth. I don't care if your parents weren't faithful to you. If your boss hasn't been faithful to you, don't you dare transfer that onto God who is always faithful. He will never deny himself. It's who he is. Lamentations 3 is a picture of of God's man, of Jeremiah, of you and I being purposeful in proclaiming and confessing God's unchangeable faithfulness. Even in the worst of circumstances, even in the midst of pain, even in in the center of heartache, Jeremiah says, I'm going to recall, bring to mind 
your faithfulness, O Lord. That's what he looks for. That's what he looks for. It's what he waits for. Do you know that God will always be faithful? I told you that Leslie and I ran out of gasoline this weekend. We were in Ohio. We drove about six hours. We never do that. We always fly, but for whatever reason, we, we drove this weekend. And we were at this engagement and we filled it. We, we put gasoline in our car and, and we only put $15 in because I said to Leslie, I saw it for $2.09. It was almost $4. And Tightwad Rhea said, let's just put a teensy tiny bit in now. And when we get to Indiana, we'll fill it up for $2.09. So we put a teensy tiny amount in and we drove two hours <laughs> to a hotel. We stayed in the hotel. We got up the next morning and we were talking about, we were returning emails in the car. I was telling Leslie some things to write and return and, and we were deep in conversation and we drove how many miles? 51. We drove 51 miles when we finally stopped, but probably at about 20 miles in, now. Nah, 30 miles in, I looked down and I realized that my caution light was on in my car and, and I needed gas. But you see, my gas tank, what happens is it'll say 30 miles to go. It'll come on, the caution light will come on and you still can drive for 30 miles to get to a gas station. Well, at the time I saw it, it had already zeroed out. There was no miles. And so you can't drive. I mean, it will shut off. And, and, and we were in the middle of rural area. And there were no, Leslie, am I exaggerating? There were no rest areas. We had driven through that way on the way in, so we knew there were no rest areas, there were no restaurants, there were no gas stations, there were no nothing. And it was farm area, farm country, and, and miles and miles and miles and miles. Like, they, this was the kind of thing that would, uh, a sign would come up on the, the side of the road that would say, next rest area, 28 miles, that kind of thing. Like, it was forever. And, and so I'm like, Leslie, it's zeroed out. And, and at first, I was gripped with fear. I was like, what are we going to do? We don't know anybody. It's freezing cold. It was freezing cold. We had no, we didn't have gloves. We didn't have hats. We had nothing. We, we were, and, and so panic just hit me. And I'm thinking, what are we going to do? And, and I wasn't even sure our phones were completely charged. I'm thinking we can't charge our phone if the car's out of gas. And, and, and panic just gripped me at first. And then I remembered Kendall, were you with me when the Jeep ran out of gas? You were with me, weren't you? Kendall and I were in, the, in my Jeep uh, a number, probably two years ago, and, and the same thing happened. And because unlike my mama, I pump my own gas, and I don't often think about this. And so my, my Jeep ran out of gas, and, and the same thing happened. The light went to zero, and we were far away. And, and so Kendall and I began to pray like crazy in the car. And, and there should have been no reason that that Jeep was running, but we just began to thank God that he was going to get us and that he could, he could take us to the gas station. And we were praying up a storm, were we not? Kendall, tell them when the car ran out of gasoline. Right when I was pulling into the gas pump, it ran out and I coasted into the gas pump. And we were stunned. Were we not stunned? We were stunned that day. And, and, and so I pumped up. And so when Leslie and I now have 28 miles to go to the next rest stop, I'm thinking, I recalled to mind. And I remembered, did I not say, Lord, I built a memorial when Kendall and I ran out of gas? Did I not say that in the car? I built a memorial. You'll see, that's what he said to the Israelites. Build a memorial, because you're going to need to remember this one. Well, I built me a memorial when my Jeep coasted into that 
that, that gas pump. And so I was like, Lord, I built a memorial. I remember what you did. And so I'm just, I am just proclaiming right now that you are, I had been studying this, a faithful God and that you take care of your own. And so we're just going to proclaim it. And so the two of us are sitting in the car at the top of our lungs, proclaiming faithfulness. And we are driving and honest, the Lord is my witness. There is no gas station in sight. We are in the middle of nowhere USA, about as deep in the country as you could possibly go. And I'm thinking, well, one of those farmers have some gasoline. I just had no idea what we were going to do. And we drove and we drove and we drove. Did we not drive? We figured it was 51 miles from the hotel to the gas station. And there was zero, zero miles on my, on my dashboard with the caution light blinking. We pull into the gas station. We are praising God. Like my, my body was shaking. I was that overwhelmed. Uh, the, there's no sensible reason why we should have gotten to that gas station. None, is there? We drove forever. And when we finally saw the BP, I was like praising God to know it. I thought, I can at least walk now, Lord. And yet I knew he wasn't going to make me walk. We pull in and like, we're like bolting to the pump. And then all of a sudden I get there and I realize I can't just pull in. No coasting going to happen here, Lord. You go, cause I got to turn around and come in the other way. So I go to turn around and come in and my car stops. And I'm thinking, Lord, what are we going to do? I could feel it kick off. I knew I'd run out of gas and I'd keep turning it and it rolls right in. <laughs> Leslie, if I'm lying, I'm dying. It's exactly how it happened. And that's what Jeremiah is doing here. He's saying, but this I will call to mind, and therefore I have hope. I've seen you do it, Lord. I've seen your faithfulness. I've seen your goodness to me. And I'm going to call that to mind right now. I'm going to stop looking at the natural, and I'm going to start focusing on what I know about you. You're a covenant-keeping, faithful God. And that's what I'm going to focus on right now. He says, therefore I have hope. You see, faith stands on the promises of God and waits and waits till he comes through. David and Goliath, David says, I'm going to recall to mind, he delivered me from the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be nothing for him. He'll deliver me from him as well. I've seen his faithfulness at work, and I'm banking on that right now. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, my God will deliver us out of this furnace, and even if he doesn't, we won't bow before your God. I'm so confident in his faithfulness. Do you know that you have a covenant-keeping God? The Bible says that the Lord, the great I am, is my portion. And I love that. I was thinking about that over and over over the weekend and, and throughout the day today. The Lord is my portion. See, I don't like that because I'm trying to lose weight and portion control is everything when you're trying to lose weight. And, and I don't like just getting a little bit of something. Uh, Karen, I want a big old heap in helping. I don't just want a little nibble. And, and at my age, if you want to lose weight, it's got to be a nibble. And so portion, I didn't like that word. And, and so I was like, Lord, I don't like that you're just a little portion and I can't get anymore. And so I knew that's not what it meant. And as I began to study that word portion, I realized that it was talking about a parcel of land or a territory or an inheritance. 
The Israelites were given a portion, a, a part of land, an assigned territory of land, and it was their land. And you see, after they had wandered in the wilderness all that time, and they didn't have anything that belonged to them, and then they were assigned a portion of land from God, and they said, this is your land. You see what it did for them? If It was security. It was safety. It was... It, it was them saying, I can settle down here. I can, I can, I can settle. It's a, it's a settledness. And what he's saying to you is, you understand that the Lord is your portion. The great I am is your portion. He is everything you have need of. What else could you possibly want? The Lord is my portion. Do you understand? I don't look to Dave to be my portion. I don't look to my friends to be my portion. I don't even look to my bank account to be my portion. The Lord is my portion. Do you understand? the one who's always faithful, the one who can't deny himself, the one who will never forsake me, who will never let me down, is my portion. The shepherd who says, I shall not want for anything, is my portion. He says, wait for the Lord. Man is coming. A fresh supply is coming. It'll be there because I promised you it would be. His mercies are new every morning. I don't care what you're facing. The Lord is your portion. He will be more than enough for you. Why are we despairing? Why are we being hopeless? Why are we not putting our hope? Do you know what hope is? A confident expectation of good. Do you have a confident expectation of good with God? He says, wait for the Lord. Can I tell you, he's still putting out manna. He's still putting out the bread of life, the bread from heaven. But I got to tell you, just, just like it was for the Israelites, they had to go out every day and gather it for themselves. And you and I, he will be faithful. And he will give you what you need. But I wonder how many of us are going out and gathering it. If we're scooping up all he has to offer. Just like manna, they had to, to go out and, and you and I need to gather up manna, the bread of life, every single day. What I've gathered this morning is going to rot. It won't be worth anything tomorrow morning. I need to gather it again tomorrow morning. It'll spoil. It won't last till tomorrow morning. I got to get up and, and, and gather it again. Gather. He says, hey, he said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You see, that's the bread of life. This is the bread of life. This is my sustenance. I can't expect what I gathered this morning to nourish me tomorrow. He says, I'll give you daily bread. But you see, like Jeremiah, he says, our hope rests in the unchangeable character of God, a God who cannot lie, a God who cannot deny himself. Alistair Begg says there's a huge gap between man's unreliability and God's faithfulness. The two do not compare. God is completely reliable. He is completely trustworthy. You say, well, Rhea, it doesn't feel like that in my life right now. It didn't in Jeremiah's either. He had to recall to mind. He had to be purposeful what he was thinking on. Would he allow his experience and his circumstances to dictate to him? Or will he call to mind the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases? His compassions never fail. His faithfulness is great. It's much. It's abundant. It's exceedingly awesome. I was reading in Hosea, Kate, Kate, can I borrow your, your Bible again? I was reading in Habakkuk, not Hosea. 
I love the book of Habakkuk. If you, if you read, if you turn to the last chapter, the last couple of verses, I, I just want to read that to you. He says, I'm going to wait patiently in the day of calamity. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the field produces no fruit, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet will I rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of the deer. He enables me to go on the heights. What he's saying is, I don't care if everything else has failed. I don't care if everything else has let me down. I don't care if my life is, everything is empty and barren and hopeless in my life. I have one hope. My hope is in the Lord. And I will rejoice in God, my Savior, the Deliverer, the only one who can get me out of this. Do you see when your circumstances want to dictate your your hope, when your circumstances want to rob you of joy, when your circumstances want to deplete your peace, when your circumstances want you to question God and his faithfulness, you have got to recall to mind and therefore have hope that the steadfast love of the Lord will never cease. It'll never end. It'll never run out because great, dear one, is his faithfulness. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Because the enemy will get you to focus on your circumstances and convince you that God is not with you. He's against you. But you've got to direct your mind and direct your thoughts to things above and the truth of what you know about God. Therefore, this I call to mind and therefore have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Rhea Briscoe, a division of Snowdrop Ministries. For more information about Rhea or how to connect with Snowdrop Ministries, please visit our website at www.snowdropministries.com or you can call 414-581-581. 8150. We pray you are encouraged and challenged to go deeper and grow stronger in your walk with Christ.